It's no joke to say that Joe Brandon is the greatest president of my lifetime. <laughs> and one of the things that I love about him is that he's actually multilingual. Not only does he speak English, but he is fluent in Simlish. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in uh, foot, foot. We, we, we had a saying back in Scranton. So fucking true. It's Britney, bitch. And uh, the Iraq, everywhere, like, such as. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Oh, surely. Oh. Our next door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank, Thank you. you. Now watch this drive. Wait, so you're not going to play the theme song now so we can get psyched? No, that's not part of the behind-the-scenes podcast. I guess I could uh, put uh, it on one of the buttons I'm at kidding. some point. I'm but I'm Low-key, I hate our theme song. <laughs> <laughs> we did it once, and it is just awkward. We're just, like, sitting here for 30 seconds. <laughs> if anyone is a musical producer and wants to redo our theme song, please reach out. I made our theme song, and I am musically illiterate. So. Yeah. I recorded the guitar riff so that we wouldn't get caught on copyright. A certain friend of ours who is a regular listener to the pod has said uh, listening to it is like water torture now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh-uh. All right. Getting to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Remember Shuffle. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is my co-host, Giordano. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's it. Huh? <laughs> and today we are talking about one of the best-selling PC games of all time, a cornerstone of 2000s gaming, The Sims. It's our- <laughs> Tornado, please. <laughs> Keep it in your pants, man. <laughs> this is only our second ever video game episode, but you can't do a podcast about the 2000s without talking about The Sims. And to do this, we are joined by a good friend of mine who actually went as an iconic Sim for Halloween one year. My good friend, Shammy. Say hi, Shammy. Hey, everyone. Yeah, long-time listener to the pod. <laughs> long-time first-time yes. Shammy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sammy, is it okay if I reveal on the pod that you once went as a Sim for Halloween? Oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Which Sim were you again? The Bella Goth character. Bella Goth. Just, like, the most recognizable. Like, the only reason I did was because, well, she's she's a brown person. She's definitely the most recognizable character from the Sims universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a babe. She's the one that was designed by Mouse from The Matrix. She's the woman in the red dress. Oh, God. I don't I don't know your Matrix <laughs> reference. I'm sorry. She's the hot woman in The Sims, I guess, right? She's the one in the first game that would just show up at your house. This is a perfect illustration of the gender binary of millennials raised in the 2000s. Right. The dude knows the obscure reference from The Matrix and the woman knows the name of the fucking sim from the dollhouse simulator right yep there are two kinds of people in this world and we just put out our matrix episode and so we are going to talk later about some of the common features between the matrix and the sims yeah oh. we've all become the architect you know? yeah. sim lane is the matrix for sims were you doing the sim walk a lot when you had done your halloween costume i must have to mm-hmm. play the part shammy spent the whole party putting drinks down on the floor and then being unable to walk over or around them throwing up her hands in frustration (laughs) (laughs) trying to cook food and killing myself (laughs) yeah yeah as a commitment to the bit you just like started a fire in the kitchen (laughs) 
So yeah, why are we doing this, Tornado? Well, The Sims was the highest-selling PC game of all time. It brought in a whole new bunch of quote-unquote casual gamers into the fold, also known as women. (laughs) (laughs) Never before had women played video games before. Shattered the glass ceiling of gaming. (laughs) Right. Finally, something for us. (laughs) I've heard that sims players often when you tell them that there are casual gamers they say there is nothing casual about the way i play the sims (laughs) i have locked myself in my room until four o'clock in the morning every night this week there is nothing casual about my relationship with this game (laughs) that's actually very true it's impossible to play a quick 20 minutes of the sims i don't know you might play call of duty right that's Mm -hmm. the thing that you might play for 20 minutes and Mm -hmm. just move on with your life yeah you can't really do that with sims no shammy is on the record saying Call of Duty is the casual game. And Ooh. This, this, <laughs> yep. The Sims, bro, start a family. Yeah, I feel like it was a new kind of game at the time because you obviously had simulator games before like Flight Sims or Sim City, where you played as an urban planner made by the same studio. But to my knowledge, this was one of the first life simulators, which there would be more of. It would be emulated with stuff like Second Life. But I don't think any other life simulator quite reached the dizzying heights of The Sims popularity. Side note, do you want to know what game The Sims unseated as the best-selling game of all time? Oh, I know this one. Fucking missed with a Y. <laughs> the puzzle game that Mima and Pep Pep were also playing, you know, clicking through the weird funky island and solving dumb puzzles. I don't remember that one. You don't remember Mist, dude? Oh my god, Mist was awesome. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, Miss kind of rocked, dude. So it was the highest selling PC game of all time until it was unseated by Minecraft, a sort of similar sandbox game. Mm. But even if you look at all video game franchises ever, The Sims is fifth or sixth on the list right below like FIFA and Grand Theft Auto. So an extremely well selling video game franchise. Yeah. So looking at the 2000s decade for video games, I think it's pretty pretty significant that this is the decade that video games go totally, totally mainstream and really scale up. So in the 70s and 80s, you have arcades. In the 90s, you start to have home consoles that are much, much more popular, like the Sega Genesis or the Super Nintendo. But it's in the 2000s that video games start to be seen really as a hobby for adults, that the average age of a gamer goes to 30. And I think it's no coincidence that almost all of the big game series, the games that come out every fucking year in November, your Calls of Duty... Your Battlefields, your Assassin's Creed, that's the proper plural, like Postmaster's General, your Far's Cry, your Halos, they all come out in this decade. It kind of mimics the same way that any IP that we have in movies probably started in this decade for the NeverEnding series. That same phenomenon is present in games. And The Sims is another example of this trend in this decade. You had PC games in the 90s as well, obviously, but in the 2000s, this becomes the highest selling PC game of all time and we've just noted that it's a casual game and the PC unlike a console or unlike an arcade a lot of people probably had it in their house not for gaming so it could be like oh you know I could also play that Sims game I I heard about on (laughs) the morning news yeah also this is the decade that esports really become a thing if you want to talk about the expansion of who's gaming how they're gaming who's watching gaming I mean shit man you can have a career just twitch streaming your gaming you can twitch stream playing the fucking Sims (laughs) 
So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of hinge point in the history of video gaming in the decade. It's also a hinge point in terms of becoming more casual. Gaming becomes more casual in so many ways in the 2000s. You get this something like The Sims, you get the Wii in this decade as well. It really did solve the obesity epidemic in America. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> that <laughs> Wii fit. Remember how everybody was like overweight and then the Wii came out and now everybody's <laughs> just in insane shape. Yeah, they paid the $100 for the plastic yoga mat you could get. There's literally no other way to do yoga without <laughs> the Wii and the fucking board that they had. And it's the first decade with mobile gaming as well. People flapping their bird, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely crushing some candy. Yeah. <laughs> also playing that game with the candy thing. <laughs> <laughs> So what is The Sim? And I'd like to start by just talking a little bit about, I've always thought it was very funny that as a kid, my brothers and my cousins and I would always play house. When you're three to seven years old, you'd go down into the basement with your plastic Fisher Price kitchen and all that, and you would pretend to be adults. My cousin would go over and be like, I'm cooking dinner and mime chopping a knife. And then I would be like, I'm going to fix the car. And I would mime fixing a car and you'd make the noises and stuff. They say that this kind of thing, which is a hilarious thing that kids do, by the way, because you're just miming being an adult. All of the boring chores that you're going to have to do one day, you're like, I'm pretending to do that and getting some kind of weird satisfaction out of it. Yeah, in those early years, you think that the fun part of life is just the dreary monotony of adulthood. And so psychologists have said that this sort of thing is very important for children because it's a way for them to make sense of what life is like and have a model that they can interact with in a low stakes environment. And The Sims is a simulation that's meant to also model the way that a child would pretend to have a dollhouse and model relationships between human beings and fixing the house and cooking dinner. And so in the year 2000, The Sims is released by Maxis and published by Electronic Arts. And in The Sims, players create virtual people called Sims and control their lives. Players can build houses for The Sims, furnish them, decorate them. They can also control their Sims' careers, relationships, and hobbies. And it's popular for a number of reasons. The first is that it's a very creative game. Players can make their own houses, make their own careers, worlds, families. It's very customizable. And there's no way to win The Sims. And so it's very replayable. Players often joke that they have 10 open games up at any time because there's always a desire to start a new life and save your file and then go and begin a new household. Yeah, it's the Sims equivalent of burning down your life, moving to Mexico as Hugo <laughs> Sanchez and starting a new life, right? Yeah, it's worth stressing this Studio Maxis, they came out with an urban planning simulator in the early-ish 90s called SimCity that blew up. And the idea was that it was open-ended and creative. It's not some stupid platformer. You go from left to right to find the princess in the castle and she's always in another castle it's do what you want play around play with your imagination true sandbox gaming and they tried to recapture this magic in a bottle with so many other dumb simulations they had sim ant they had sim life where you played with genetic code sim tower sim copter really just jonesing for a sim fix <laughs> but they only really struck gold with this life simulator which is to me is so crazy we all on this pod played the sims as youth so obviously it had some draw some appeal playing through life in this virtual world but when i think about gaming now it's the ability to do crazy 
out of this world things that has appealed to me. Let me be a fucking dragonborn in the Skyrim universe. Let me go questing and do crazy shit. That's a huge part of the appeal of gaming for a lot of people is playing with your imagination in fantastical worlds. But it turns out what people really, really wanted was just a slightly better version of real life to play in. <laughs> I mean, this studio, Maxis, when they were developing The Sims, it was a project on the back burner. And the creator kind of got away with doing it in his spare time. It was sort of overlooked at the company. And it is wild that before they considered real human life, they were like, we should make an ant game and focus <laughs> on that. <laughs> Everyone's always wanted to be an ant. Yeah, the, everyone wants to be a drone. <laughs> everyone wants to be the bug man. <laughs> I've actually played a lot of those <laughs> oh, yeah? games that you mentioned, like Sim Tower, Sim Copter. I did fuck around with Sim Ant. I don't think I ever figured out how exactly you're supposed to play it. <laughs> yeah, so there's been four iterations of The Sims that have come out. I mean, four is... It's not really an iteration so much as it's a milking parlor for the consumers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could speak about some of the improvements that were made. The Sims 2 was a major improvement over Sims 1. Why is that? I know they yeah. moved from the flat interface to like a true 3D interface. For me, I was excited about the virtual dollhouse aspect of it because I'm a girl. I <laughs> grew up with The Sims too. Like I started playing it when it first came out. I was 10 years old and I found something that kept bringing me back to it into my 30s. The last time I played it was during the pandemic early on when nice. we couldn't leave our home. <laughs> so you played the game where you stay at home. <laughs> no. no, you can leave it. You can leave your home and you can do things. I mean, there is like a fantasy element to the sims as well and between the sims one and two in the sims one you had these preloaded skins in the game and you could only be these particular characters that looked like this and you could swap their outfits and things like that but that was about it it was kind of like body outfit maybe mm. hair or something you couldn't really change all that stuff and what was really funny is like if you make a baby in the sims one it just randomly chooses one of the babies <laughs> that yeah. one of the children there aren't even toddlers or anything so. Yeah, there's no genetics system no. in The Sims. It just a stork comes up with a baby and that's it. Yeah, and so by The Sims 2, they actually do have some model there in terms of like how when humans reproduce, like what do offspring look like? There is some <laughs> element of that and from The Sims 2 on. So like mm -hmm. if you had, you know, two people, the kid would come out looking like a child of those two people, mm. like more or less, which was cool. Like that for me, it was like, ooh, that's, <laughs> that's a big advancement in in terms of the, the tech of The Sims. So. Yeah, I was always impressed with the developer's ability to... And maybe as a statistician, that's what was most appealing to me. The game I thought was so impressive was that like the technical aspects of life could be reduced to like a math equation yeah. and like, something <laughs> programmable, right? And so even something like how to make your Sims happy. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, how do we determine what makes someone happy? We have this Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maybe we could just make sure that your Sims have peed they've eaten they have shelter eaten come on dude. <laughs> they've eaten <laughs> they're in a nice enough room they are socializing they're having fun but i think the creator will Wright, who created the game had that perspective as well of like oh what if we could model life what would that be like and happiness like what that was sort of the same lines that he was thinking. he's a super dorky guy apparently like super super weird yeah so as you play through the sim like what do you do this is open-ended game with your player avatars and you, the player, after you either buy a pre-made home or design your own home for your Sims, need to handle their eight basic needs. Hunger, hygiene, bladder. <laughs> Sims only pee. You never see them go to number two. Yeah. Uh, 
that's one of the hardest rungs on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is the bladder rung. (laughs) (laughs) Energy, comfort, social, and fun. That's only seven. And the last one is room. Your Sims need to be in a cool room in order to be happy. And you need to kind of just mine for your Sims throughout the game. And a lot of these are pretty intuitive. Sims need to eat. Sims need to bathe. Sims need to piss. And so on and so forth. You just do that forever. There's no way to win the Sims. There's never a screen that says, congrats, you won. (laughs) You just keep your Sims happy or not and keep living life. So I guess you could play the Sims indefinitely. Yeah, you don't even lose when your Sims die or when Child Protective Services takes away your baby. (laughs) You just continue on with your life. There's no way to win or lose. And I remember this was always frustrating to me because I used to play this all the time as a kid. And I remember my Sims would get depressed and they wouldn't be able to do anything. And so I would just buy them more things. And I would be like, how are you so depressed? I just bought you a pinball machine. (laughs) Like, stop. Wait, your Sims would be depressed? Yeah, in Sims 1, they would be depressed because I didn't socialize them or I didn't give them any kind of purpose or anything. (laughs) They'd be in a room that was filthy. And I'm like, just play pinball. Don't look at the plates on the ground (laughs) just sticking with this description of the game the sims socialize and they talk to one another and they have their own language which is called simlish which we'll put a clip in in post but it's essentially gibberish And this is one of the most iconic things about The Sims. This funny sounding Simlish language that has intonations and everything. And this was a creative solution to a problem, which is how do you record enough dialogue that can be repeated and repeated and repeated in this open-ended game without it becoming boring? And the related problem of you need to do this for every language that you re-release it in. And their solution came from the world of San Francisco Improv. (laughs) There's a stupid improv game where one person speaks gibberish really animatedly and the other (laughs) improv person needs to react to it in English. And they do a scene with that. And so they have this dumb made-up language. It sounds very silly, but this game is so beloved that when The Sims 3 came out, real artists re-recorded their songs in Simlish. (laughs) Katy Perry recorded Last Friday Night. My Chemical Romance recorded their song. It's just called Na 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 Na. The band Fun recorded We Are Young in Simlish. And it's incredibly stupid, but it tickles my funny bone. Yeah, I mean, they say what percentage of language is tonal? (laughs) So you kind of get across what you mean. Gradually, as the games go on, it did develop equivalencies. Like this Simlish word means this thing in English. And the funniest one is, of course, that the Sims call sex woohoo, <laughs> which is what they say when they bone. Incidentally, it's also what I shout when I climax immediately before starting to repeat, thanks, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like many of us on the pod, I learned about sex from The Sims. And so now when I have sex, I go fully under the covers. <laughs> <laughs> And then just do a plank. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. They're moving around under there. You can see the blanket <laughs> like go up and down. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I, I did the move objects cheat, so I removed the bed while they were woohooing. And they're just they're just doing a plank in the bed. Really? Oh, yeah. look, you, you got into the mods. <laughs> well, cheats and mods, yeah, I got deep in that. And so wait, wait, because I always thought it was impossible to get rid of the pixelization. I guess I'm misinformed. There. Oh, I mean it would still be pixelated, but you could move the bed. The bed. Sheet. Interesting. Nice. <laughs> like while they're <laughs> while they're in, you could do it. Like you could move. Objects. And is that something you did as a child, Arbitrary. or is that something you've done recently? <laughs> <laughs> as as a child. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was always very tantalizing, especially as a kid. You don't really have that much exposure to anything like inappropriate. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. As a kid in the year two thousand, now the kids have access to all <laughs> oh, yeah. the pornography in <laughs> yeah. the world. Right. That's true. That's why their brains are so broken. But well, it's it's one part of the reason for why their brains are so broken. But in the two thousands the most exposure to sex you had was the movie titanic or the movie bedazzled or something and so the sims just watching them getting in in and out of the shower you're like i'm gonna say it's out (laughs) (laughs) get a little hot and bothered from this pixelated sim Uh also one thing you could do in the game if you're like me and you inevitably get bored with this game is you could like a cruel and malevolent god just straight up murder your sims (laughs) and yeah the player role was kind of weird because you're kind of like the sims god telling them what to do but you also were them playing as them it's a weird not quite trinity but like a weird kind of duality that uh you're doing but yeah you could uh send your sims for a swim remove the ladder in the edit mode and then watch them drown and a grim reaper sim avatar would even come up you could start house fires by like cooking bad i think those were the two main ones that you could do to murder sims in sims one yeah of course people found hacks to kill your sims in dozens of different ways you know the hamster disease mm-hmm. shammy maybe you know of some more but no i don't know about that. Uh, okay of, of more ways to kill your sims surely there's more oh you can be electrocuted if you're trying to fix the dishwasher and there's like a puddle of water in front of it very dangerous can they good. starve to death yes right oh yeah yeah they can starve to death That's they can i believe you can also you can have them woohoo to death <laughs> You can kiss to death, or if you just have them not do anything else, they die. Mm. It's just funny that around this time, we get a lot of these simulation games, and any game that allows you to play God and kill your creations always seems to be a fascination of players, right? If robots ever put us on trial one day, and they make you watch footage of you killing people in Roller Coaster Tycoon (laughs) or The Sims, you'll have a lot to answer for. Like, imagine an Agent Smith-like figure (laughs) being like, I'm going to enjoy watching you pee on the floor, Mr. Anderson. (laughs) Yeah, he's making you live life as a sim, as a kind of, like, a punishment for Uh your crimes. (laughs) You hear that, Mr. Anderson? That is the sound of (laughs) woohoo. You turn Sim Lane into a charnel house. <laughs> You're like, no, no. When I when I left my Sims, they were cooking in the kitchen. I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> no, Mr. Anderson, your Sims are already dead. <laughs> So that's a general description of how people played the game. And now we're going to get into why people played the game. Why did people enjoy this? And just to introduce us to this topic, I want to tell you both a story about my dad. I remember once on like a beautiful summer day, my brother and I were both playing Kobe Bryant's NBA Courtside, which was a basketball video game in the year 2000. And he started doing this elaborate bit, which he thought was hilarious, where he was like, guys, they just released a new basketball game. They, it's... (laughs) 
it's amazing. I'll go buy it for you. It's incredibly lifelike. The graphics are even better than this game. And you actually play outside and you play with a real ball and a real net. So it feels totally lifelike. And he was, of course, just encouraging us to go in the driveway and play basketball. This is a classic boomer move that they also did with Guitar <laughs> oh, yeah. Hero. Why not just learn to play an instrument? Because that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's difficult and time consuming and boring. And getting back to The Sims, this is the purest example of, did you hear they invented a new version? It's called The Sims 5. And you actually go talk to people and flirt with them in real life. And you can get a real job where you earn simoleons of a kind. You, know? <laughs> you can actually wash dishes. You can actually <laughs> piss on the floor. <laughs> You can actually die in a preventable suburban pool accident. If only you had some upper body strength. Pull yourself out of the pool. But yeah, I wasn't a huge sim head. I inevitably got bored playing this. But when I did play it, I actually kind of did like the career grind. I liked leveling up my sims. Oh my like building a house, that was whatever. I never got into that. That's how you play games now. <laughs> yeah, when I played Skyrim... I I would level up my smithing. Oh my god. <laughs> Lose my mind. I wanted to level up my smithing to 100 because you can craft the best armor that way. So I would go to a forge. I would buy all the ingots that they had. I would craft the simplest item, the steel dagger. I would resell all those daggers for money until that forge ran out of inventory for the material to smith daggers. Then I would fast travel to a different forge and repeat the process over and over again. It took hours upon hours of gameplay and I crafted thousands of steel daggers. But I eventually got my smithing up to 100 And I was like, yeah, that was worth it <laughs> Ben, did you hear they're making a new Skyrim? <laughs> and you actually have to go to Red Hook To a workshop <laughs> And Skyrim 2 is available there And you can make a real dagger Hundreds Whoa. of times <laughs> The three topics that we're going to cover in this Why People Play the Game are consumerism, work, and relationships. <laughs> the first reason, and I think the biggest reason why people play The Sims, which is consumerism. This game was originally designed to be an architecture simulator, and many people cite the ability to make your dream home as one of the primary draws and goals of the game. Building a dream home is something that all humans want to do, and 99% of us are not going to be able to do it. So... <laughs> Sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it the home builder part that interested you more? Well, yeah, what was your favorite part of the game? I mean, I liked the dollhouse aspect of it, where it's you can create a family. You can create these characters that are pretty much whatever you imagine. You can have them do whatever you want and whatever you imagine and live out these lives over generations, kind of world building and lore building on a small scale of your own. I liked the imagination aspect of it, being able to exercise my imagination. That's really why it was so appealing to me. And probably, I, I don't want to speak for all little girls who play this <laughs> game, but I do think that, that, you know, there's a reason little girls play with dolls. And it's like, oh, I'm the dad. Now I'm going to work. And we have a doggy like that. It's just a toy. Like it's a mm -hmm. entertaining. <laughs> so maybe it was the relationship part for you then. Yeah, maybe for me, that was primarily what was interesting. But the house building aspect of the 
game is also pretty, I feel like it's a very separate part of the game, but that was also fun. But building a good house is really hard. You have to actually be quite skilled. And Well, that was always my favorite part of the game because, you know, spending money feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I can kind of scratch that itch in a digital environment with The Sims. <laughs> Jordano, you're one of the cheapest motherfuckers I know. <laughs> That's because I love being withholding to myself, you know? <laughs> That's what makes the spending so good, is the edging. <laughs> I once saw you deliberate for six months over whether or not to buy a $40 air fryer. And after six months, you settled on, yes, I will buy that $40 air fryer. Is that a true story? A hundred percent true. Oh my God. Giordano took buying an air fryer with all the seriousness that other people have in acquiring land for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> putting it into Excel spreadsheets. I don't know if I'll ever financially recover from this $40 air fryer I just purchased. <laughs> Do you regret buying the air fryer or was it a good choice? No, I mean, I'm very happy with it. I think it's perfect. Oh, okay. So, yeah, the right amount of effort went you into took that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not cheap about everything. Like if it comes to the pod, I think I'm very liberal with the spending. It just when it comes to personal items that are meant to make me happy. <laughs> Even in the Sims, I noticed like I was buying like a toaster today, and the toaster that I had to buy was like 150 simoleons. And I was like, don't they have a cheaper toaster? Is this toaster really good? Enough? And I was like, because you can get different toasters that make better quality toast. And I was like, yeah, I would yeah. love to know the trade off. <laughs> With a more expensive toast, I don't want to spend on the more expensive toaster. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the things I think, like what it says about society is kind of insidious. The fact that this game is essentially a consumerism simulator where like, you can fill your digital dream home with progressively more expensive things. Even your Sims' hobbies in the home are skill checks to level up your job. It's like the version of life that Sims 1 presents. Because you don't get to leave the home in Sims 1. I know in later ones you do. But when your Sim goes to work, you just see them pull up to a bus or a taxi cab or whatever vehicle. And then you, the malevolent god, sit and you look at the house until your Sims get back from work. <laughs> And then you need to go back to taking care of them. Mm -hmm. It is very much produce and consume. <laughs> that is the meaning of life in the Sims universe. And I think in the context of a video game, video games are made to give you the dopamine rush that comes from giving you a task, execute the task, quest complete, XP, ping, achievement unlocked, rush of dopamine, right? I am exerting agency upon Skyrim. <laughs> God damn the Stormcloaks. Long live the Imperials and so on and so forth. But the only progress that you can make in Sims is getting a promotion and buying more things, which is fine in and of itself. But if you're meant to be a life simulator, what kind of life is this? Where is the purpose? <laughs> Surely there were other goals in the game. Like you could yeah, there make were, relationships. Yeah, and I feel like you're missing one of the bigger parts of the game, which is getting married and having a yeah. baby and getting your friendship score up with your neighbors. <laughs> you know, yeah. man, I got to grind friends. <laughs> I think I just need a little bit more story. My favorite life simulator that got me through the pandemic is a game called Persona 5, in which you play as a Japanese teenager and you literally go to school and answer questions in, in half of the game. Mm -hmm. Half of the game is a Japanese teenager life simulator. And the other half of the game is a fantasy RPG in which you break into people's subconscious palaces and steal their deepest, darkest desires to turn them good. But you can only excel in the high as a phantom thief if you grind 
stats like kindness. <laughs> and you, if you increase your friendship score with your confidants, they have five personality traits that are like guts, intelligence, charm, charisma, and kindness. And you need to grind all of these. And it's in the context of a story that I think for me made that whole like leveling up your relationships hit a little bit better. It has real dialogue instead of simlish. It has real <laughs> characters. But yeah, I guess when I played, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't grinding friendship enough with my neighbors. You have to create your own stories, you know, like maybe yeah. you'd have a marriage and then maybe, maybe we'll do a little adultery here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe my wife will have an unfortunate pool accident. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you do have to create your own story. And I think The Sims 1 was probably the most restrictive. Like, Mm -hmm. if that was the only one you ever played, I could definitely see. It would just get repetitive and boring. Yeah, you send them away to their job. And I I find it generally playing The Sims, after a while, it's just not fun anymore. (laughs) You're just doing the same thing over and over again. And it feels like work more than playing a game. That was a similar experience I found on Reddit. A lot of people would say that when they play The Sims, you play obsessively for a week. And then you don't touch it again for two years that's how i played it for sure i spent the morning playing it today oh really which one the sims 4 for mobile i guess oh okay i was just trying to grind until i could get my two characters to do woohoo But finishing up consumerism a little bit, it's also worth mentioning. This is everybody's favorite detail. Anytime you bring up The Sims, people love to talk about Rosebud, Mm -hmm. the cheat code to give you more money. Rosebud, which was a brilliantly named cheat because, (laughs) you know, it's the word from Citizen Kane, a movie about a guy who has all of these riches, but the one thing he remembers on his deathbed is his childhood sled and his childhood innocence. And so I think it's speaking to this idea that money can't buy you perfect happiness which I thought was very apt because I remember putting that Rosebud code in and that was the surest way to be bored of the game soon mm-hmm. because you're breaking <laughs> yeah. the game. It's mm-hmm. like when you make the car in Age of Empires and you just start fucking... <laughs> it's, 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 it's really fun for like five minutes and then you're like, yeah. oh, well, what am I just going to go to work now? Am, am I going to get a get my painting score up? I have a billion simoleons. <laughs> you guys are such dudes, though. The way that you think about this game is like how you think about <laughs> video games in general and your goals for video games i don't know that never bothered me at all it, it's the doodly way of thinking how do i win how do yeah, i fucking totally. win it's <laughs> not the point like if you have all the money in a lot of ways i feel like it unlocks a lot of potential in the game and ways that you can play it that don't involve having to go to a nine to five job like you can do all these other things and that i think is also it's more developed in later you know the sims themselves have a little bit more particular in interests and personality traits or hobbies that they gravitate to so there's a little bit more individuality in the sims and you can send them on all these different journeys and their expansion packs where they can go to different worlds they can go traveling they can go on vacation they can go on dates yeah i think really the problem might be yeah both our fucking manly competitive view of what a video (laughs) game should be but also that we clocked in the most time on sims one which is truly the most horrifying consumerist hellscape (laughs) of all of them (laughs) So, yeah, we just discussed the consumerism aspect. Now I'd like to discuss the job dynamic of The Sims. So, like I've said several times now, there's no way to win. But the only leveling up you can do is your fucking job. And the job (laughs) system was pretty funny in The Sims. Because on the one hand, it's something you did, you know, get a few simoleon to invest in your house. And your pinball machines and your light-up disco floors and your heart-shaped vibrating beds, which uh, (laughs) you slept 
tucked in naked is one of the easiest ways to make your Sims have woohoo. But on the other hand, yeah, it's the only thing that you could level up in a meaningful way to feel like you're exerting some kind of agency on the Sims world. Your Sims chose a career track and then would get progressively doper jobs within that track, provided that they grinded particular skills at home. And I got a couple funny examples from these tracks. One track you could choose is called culinary, and you would move up from dishwasher at the bottom all the way up through the ranks to the top of celebrity chef. In The Sims 1, there were some pretty standard, recognizable career paths like athletics, business, but then there'd be some outlier weird ones. Like you could apply for a job as a criminal, <laughs> and then your Sims would dress up like the fucking hamburglar before <laughs> heading up to work. You would rise from pickpocket all the way to criminal mastermind. And while there's no story in The Sims, they do have some kind of color commentary and descriptions, and this is where the lore behind the characters comes from, such as it is. But when you become criminal mastermind, when you grind your criminal career track, this is what you get. Most men fear you. You run your own mob of thieves and hijackers and could buy any house on the block. Your front is a respectable SimCity business and you feel almost above the law. God damn, dude, this game is secretly dark. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of parts of it that are secretly and not so secretly dark about the life simulator. <laughs> like the tragic clown or the prank phone calls that you would get that said stuff like, they're coming soon, make sure you think twice about opening the door. Also, there was the burglar who would <laughs> yes. steal your things while you were asleep and there was nothing you could do to stop it. You would just have to helplessly watch him steal your toaster. <laughs> no, not the toaster. Your toaster that you had done so much research before purchasing. <laughs> yeah, and another funny career track is that in true 2000s fashion, there was a track called Hacker, whose jobs are wild. I'm just going to read you the, the ranking. You start out as a beta tester. Then you move up to support tech. Then you move up to webmaster. Stage four, hacker. Stage five, security consultant. Stage six, game designer. Then we go right from game designer to stage seven, internet entrepreneur, software CEO, venture capitalist from beta <laughs> tester. And then finally, stage 10, information overlord. <laughs> Oh no. This, this game called Jack Dorsey and, and Mark Zuckerberg in 2000. They manifested that shit like the fucking Simpsons. Because mm -hmm. listen to this description. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, the hours eased up. The public became both worshipful and insufferable. And you have all the answers that everyone else in technology is seeking. Whoa. You can become increasingly reclusive, bulky up your home security system and taking lots of phone calls, but the money just keeps rolling. Rolling in. Nice. That sounds Damn, fun. That's pretty good. Wow. I should have focused on my career more in The Sims <laughs> instead of building my perfect dollhouse. But yeah, OG Sims is a pretty atomized and individualistic view of life. Like there, there wasn't even a multiplayer component so you could play with your friends. You produce and consume in the virtual world. It reminds me of that SpongeBob line. She's forgotten what it's like to live on the outside, to not be in prison. <laughs> Coming to bed, honey? 
Yes, dear. Okay, so if that's it for work, we'll move on to relationships. But I just want to say one more thing about consumerism, which I forgot to mention. But I mentioned that my favorite part of the game was building the house. I didn't even realize it at the time, but once I started playing, just seeing the wallpaper styles <laughs> and the tiles that you could buy brought back such a Proustian reverie for me <laughs> this week because I spent so long choosing wallpaper and choosing... <laughs> The carpet color when I was a child. Wait, like you were playing the game correctly. <laughs> I was not playing it correctly. <laughs> that is what you're supposed to do. I think Shammy was playing the game the best, obviously. <laughs> to be like creating characters and like, living through these relationships. I was playing the second best <laughs> in that it was like the consumerism version. Ben was clearly playing like the Play-Doh Shadow Wall worst <laughs> version of the game. <laughs> Listen, my sims are just focusing on their career right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, the Sims fucking Andrew Tate expansion pack. <laughs> <laughs> You're just the grind set right now, you know? You're trying to get that Bugatti. I just gotta level up. So moving on to the last part of the game. And as we've just said, the, the, the most meaningful part of the game, the best way to play The Sims, which was to focus on the relationships. So The Sims has always been praised for its realistic portrayal of human relationships and emotions. Very difficult thing to model, especially in the year 2000. Model the way that people would interact with each other and have a relationship or get angry with each other. And your Sims could improve or worsen the relationships with other Sims. You could befriend strangers, have them visit your house. You could have two Sims fall in love and have children. But the game's relationship mechanics were very well thought out from like a philosophical concept before being translated to code. And Shami, you gave me a little bit of a skeptical look when I said the relationships engine was well thought out. <laughs> was anything coming to mind? I mean, yeah, the realistic portrayal of relationships <laughs> thing, I think, is a little bit like, hmm, really? Just because it's still a computer game and there's a handful of interactions that you can have. And in some ways, it's not super realistic. Like, you can piss a sim off, your sim friend off really bad and <laughs> cheat on them or something. But after a while, they'll just get over it. Like, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> just, just like real life? Kind of just <laughs> like to baseline. <laughs> but there was ways to exploit the sort of relationship engine, from what I understand. And a very skilled player in Sims 1 could even get their sims to be bisexual i've heard <laughs> but you had to really know how to do the relationship angle with different people oh in the sims one yeah i like to imagine a south korean esports league for the sims <laughs> complete with like the introductions the animations and the over-the-top rock star status like <laughs> did you see his micromanagement ability <laughs> <laughs> see if you played the game like me there would be a way to win <laughs> you could have competitive sims be like fastest one to the highest level of the job tree go and be bisexual and be <laughs> you need to be a bisexual mob boss <laughs> Carmela I'm from your old school on Friday you should take out your wife and then on Saturday you go to the Copa with your boyfriend that's how, that's how you win the sims I want to tell you guys a story about the 1999 Games Expo, where The Sims was first introduced to the public at like a video games expo, and it was an afterthought at this expo. No one was really thinking about The Sims at the time. But in the background, they would show gameplay footage, and it was typical for every game to include three different clips of gameplay. And usually these clips were what they call on rails, meaning 
you're not actually showing real game footage. You're showing game footage that's been pre-designed to run through something so that there's no problems. But they were changing The Sims so much in those days that they just decided to show some random footage of a wedding they had put together. And apparently in the third clip, two of the female characters in the crowd turned and kissed each other. And in 1999, this caused a big stir at the Video Games Expo. And it turns out that some intern who was gay had left this in from a beta version of the game. And so just the idea that spontaneously two of the characters decided to share this lesbian kiss together, I think (laughs) speaks a lot to the open-ended nature of the game and how much you're able to do with the open world that they give you. And it's a very famous story about The Sims starting to create some buzz. Yeah, if you quickly Google the first lesbian kiss on TV, it is not that much before 1999. I know Star Trek Deep Space Nine had a big one in 1995, but I think they're not like the first first but yeah groundbreaking stuff and i remember the feelings of joy that you could get as a kid from talking to a stranger long enough to get your relationship up to where you could dance together (laughs) and it's like i could do that in real life okay you could go out and talk to people (laughs) until they feel comfortable dancing with me but it's so much easier in the sims (laughs) yeah super realistic portrayal of human relationships (laughs) just compliment them enough until they dance with you just love bomb them enough (laughs) until they want to dance with you You, i mean you guys are laughing but i think that this is one of the attractive (laughs) things about the sims is how directly and simply they make certain things in life like in reality you could go outside and approach someone and be like that's a nice jacket i love it Mm -hmm. you know and then say something like (laughs) Shammy's laughing at me. <laughs> but I like, think they would end up running away from you. <laughs> and that's how Jordano got maced on the streets of New York City. <laughs> yeah, try it. You should try it. I should. I should and just back. do one of those clickbait YouTube videos where it's like, I live my life as a sim for one day. <laughs> oh my God. That would be amazing, though. I live my life as Don Lothario for one day. <laughs> Of course, you have to choose the horniest sim. (laughs) Couldn't have been one of the goth children. But just finishing up the relationship part here, we've been mentioning it here and there, but one of the most tantalizing aspects of the game was the ability to make your sims have sex. And teenagers from around the globe tried in vain to remove the pixelization. Shammy apparently was enough of an information overlord that she could remove the (laughs) bedsheet. But this is a way to win the sims in a way. It's a way to enjoy the game. Just as it's a way to enjoy life. You know, you don't want your Sims to be incels. It's one of the pillars of the game was to get your social scores up. I replayed this week and I played up until the point where I was able to get my Sims to have sex. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. Because you can't just have sex. First, you have to be partnered with them, and then they'll they'll do it. In The Sims 1, it was a lot simpler. You literally could just love bomb them, and they would eventually get to that point where you could woohoo in the bed. <laughs> in the vibrating bed that was introduced in Live in Large, right? <laughs> yeah. It turns out flirting is just saying normal words with like a ha-ha-ha intonation. <laughs> That's all it takes to flirt. Right, right. That's a nice jacket. <laughs> oh, my God. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so we've talked a little bit about why people played The Sims, what made it fun. Now we'll get into some of the trends of the 2000s and how The Sims is emblematic of gaming in general throughout this decade. Yeah, this is something I kind of alluded to at the top of the show, but you don't need to be a weirdo who's into pro gaming. You don't need to memorize the fucking Street Fighter combo codes or whatever the hell. Yeah, this is a game that was made for everyone, just living life. It's made by a big studio, Electronic Arts, and if you game even a little bit, you know that this is one of the most evil companies on earth. <laughs> this is one of the most evil, shamelessly capitalist, exploitative, fuck the consumer companies on earth, which we're going to see as we go from Sims 1 through 4. But yeah, it's hard to stress how much I feel like in the 80s and 90s, video games were like baby brain platformer shit. And they, the kind of level of social acceptance that they gradually got over the course of this decade. Yeah, The Sims is just one data point in this trend. So The Sims famously had a ton of expansion packs and they would sort of slowly do creep on how realistic the game was. Sims 1 comes out, you're going to work, you're cooking stuff, you're making families. Live in Large comes out, there's more stuff to buy, you can have sex now. <laughs> House Party comes out, right? Now you can throw a big party, Drew Carrier would show up. Then Sims <laughs> Vacation comes out, now you can travel the world. We're heightening what we can do in The Sims. Then The Sims Superstar comes out, which lets you be a model or an actor. And then Sims Making Magic comes out where your Sims can do magic and witchcraft. I think there's generally this trend. I think each game has about eight expansion packs where you do move from a grounded version of real life towards a more fantastic version of real life where you're a wizard. How dope would it be <laughs> if the Sims making magic, it wasn't real magic, like stupid Harry Potter shit or whatever. You just got to be Joe Bluth. You just got, <laughs> you just got to do illusions. <laughs> I'm saving up all my simoleons for the Aztec tomb. <laughs> <laughs> Where in the curve of expansion packs would you normally find yourself having the most fun, Shammy? In the more grounded version of the game, or did you like to go to Paris and Cairo on vacation with your Sims? I wanted all the expansion packs always, but I mostly pirated this game, so I would download a couple expansion packs, it would fuck up the whole thing, I'd have to start <laughs> over. And I think the earlier iterations of The Sims, they gave you a lot to work with, even in the base game. And I think later versions of The Sims, they deliberately withhold that stuff so they could sell it to you later. Mm -hmm. And not even super fantastical things, but like babies, they, this life stage that they had since Sims mm. 2. Now it's like an update in The Sims 4. And it's like, okay, well, this is bullshit. This is not right. in the spirit of the original game, I feel. Yeah, it's clearly not like a technical limitation that you're trying to add on. You're actually just being withholding. Mm -hmm. We should mention as well, this is probably one of the most pirated games of all time. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, the early 2000s was that sweet spot where technology yeah. had improved enough that you could pirate and you could burn CD like I didn't even torrent this game when I pirated it. I burned a copy from a friend, but it was oh, before wow. technology advanced so much that the anti-piracy measures had kicked in. Yeah. yeah, there was no game piracy before, so there was no prevention against you just yeah. ripping these files onto Napster or LimeWire <laughs> and downloading. <laughs> just giving your parents' computer every single <laughs> virus in existence <laughs> so that you could send your Sims on a date. <laughs> <laughs> 
totally so worth it yeah but i feel like they would just get easily corrupted i don't know that would always inevitably happen i also would download a lot of the community based like people would produce Mm -hmm. there's a ton of mod there's a big modding community and yeah some people have complained because apparently the only way to really get an accurate black sim is to get a user created mod which is pretty fucked up that like the developers couldn't do it themselves damn yeah and yet over the course of the decade you see the trend from an expansion pack to a dlc and what that means is what shammy was alluding to right something like starcraft brood war that comes out in the late 90s it's a full fucking game right it's called an expansion pack and you need the base game to play but it gave you three campaigns it gave you a bunch of new units it gave you new ways to play the game worth every penny starcraft brood war the sims like Jordano said these expansion packs were big and added new ways to play to the game going on vacation going on dates but as the decade progresses we shift from this thing called the expansion pack which is almost an entire game's worth of material to this thing called the dlc the downloadable content which is big studios like ea treating you like a sweet little pain piggy <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna pay money to daddy and <laughs> you're gonna fucking like it you goddamn cock <laughs> We are going to fucking withhold pleasure, ruined orgasm the whole night. Yeah, they're going to sell you an incomplete game at launch and you'll be playing your game. And sometimes in really shitty games, you'll see an advertisement in your game. I remember playing like a late Splinter Cell, like it might have been Splinter Cell colon Blacklist or maybe Splinter Cell colon Conviction, but you would see a mission in the menu that you would have to download. It's like, you bastards, you tantalizing bastards. And The Sims does this in spades. Giordano, what are the Metacritic scores for Sims 1 through 4? Do you have that written (laughs) down? Yeah, so I mean, Sims 1 through 3 are beloved. The Sims 1 was rated Mm. 90%. The Sims 2 was rated 91%. And The Sims three was rated 87 percent then the sims 4 comes out and (laughs) the first three came out in the 2000s the fourth came out shortly after and it is rated 68 percent yep because they give you less and less with the base game and demand more and more of you from the dlc right it's an absolutely shameless attempt at profit maximization that big studios do more and more it's not enough that you pay 60 or 70 dollars at launch because you have two more dlcs plus fucking hats or skins or whatever so you might as well pay the full hundred dollars for the season pass and the sims went absolutely ham on this shit there are dozens upon dozens of sim 4 dlcs i'm just gonna read you some of the titles because it's pretty fucking funny (laughs) it's free to play with dlc and some of the dlc have such exciting titles as sims 4 colon get to work (laughs) (laughs) friends all over that one Sims 4 colon parenthood and Sims 4 colon nifty knitting stuff. (laughs) Oh my God. There's even a Sims 4 colon laundry day. So you can pay $20 to do virtual laundry. But then we get into some wacky stuff because, again, we want to milk every teat on this cash cow. So there's (laughs) Sims 4 colon werewolves, Sims 4 colon (laughs) vampires, Sims 4 colon jungle adventure. And maybe my absolute favorite, the Sims 4 colon Star Wars colon journey to Batu. That's right. Two colons in this (laughs) DLC violating the laws of English punctuation and grammar. Yeah. And it's like, how do you fuck up the Sims? This is the easiest game to make a sequel of. You improve the graphics, you make the relationship mechanics a little bit more detailed, and you introduce a few more different couches and and carpet (laughs) colors. 
you don't have to do that much. And yet they fucked it up because they changed the economic model that the game works on, which is meant to now be extractive because you don't want people to pay once at a cash register. Well, you want recurring revenue. And I want to do an episode one day on 3G Capital and what they did to Tim Hortons and Budweiser in the 2000s. Go look at Vivendi with Blizzard Game. And I, for companies like EA, the model became, how do we extract as much money out of this game as possible instead of how do we make this game as beloved as possible? Yeah. How do we turn everything into a subscription service? And how do we convert any brand loyalty that we have into dollars? These companies don't want brand loyalty because brand loyalty isn't worth anything to their shareholders. It's merely a tertiary good that can be squeezed for money. Instead of thinking, how do we make a great game and the money will come later? Which I think was the model with the first one. They made it even while it was being ignored by the parent company. And now EA does this to all of its games. Go look at Hearthstone. Go look at The Sims. The goal is to just extract as much money out of the user as possible. And to be clear, Sims 4 was not the company messing up. You know, this version of the game, I'm sure, made way more money than the previous versions. They have zero incentive to make a beloved game which makes less money. It does not align with their fiduciary duty to shareholder value. And we'll talk about a very similar idea when we get to video game movies in our next episode. Which I think I've said this before, maybe on our Halo episode, it is such a shame that the gamer, as whatever figure, is generally associated with the political right. They get mad whenever there are women in their games or people of color in their games or whatever. The Gamergate thing where they're harassing women journalists, like... Man, capitalism ruined gaming, right? Not any attempt at representation. (laughs) How can you believe in the free market when you're paying hundreds of dollars to get your Sims 4 fix? Yeah, but despite the, whatever, 68% positive rating for Sims 4, they're probably still accomplishing their goal. People are probably still paying through the nose to play this game. What's the average price of those DLC packs? Like 20 bucks a pop? Yeah, 10 to 20. And they don't give you anything. Yeah, you get a couple shitty objects that previously could just go on a fan's site and download for free because mm-hmm. these people that are doing this it's a labor of love and producing all this really cool and creative stuff that you can then go and benefit from but yeah no EA had to had to ruin it I wonder if you actually can become a werewolf in the Sims 4 cool aware that seems like a major no I think so nice. <laughs> I think that's the point of it. yeah so, yeah hey. that would be a little bit of a tease yeah. <laughs> or maybe you were just saying you maybe just they would visit your house off. yeah maybe you could just <laughs> get visited and murdered by werewolves in the sims 4 colon werewolf i know you could become a vampire and it would i think increase your like charisma and your like energy and you would your sims would never age but if you went outside then everything would immediately go to zero you start to burn and yeah your all of your green meters would go down mm-hmm. be cool if instead of a child protective services person coming and stealing your baby or the death avatar coming or whatever if you become a vampire you need to worry about occasional attacks by the slayer because you are in the buffy <laughs> universe that's the version of the cat burglar it's just yeah. a, a fucking 120 pound <laughs> blonde girl coming and murdering you with uh, stakes and shit okay so let's move on to echoes in the culture everybody's favorite remember shuffle (laughs) section of the show when we talk about how this media can still be felt today in 
the culture around us. So we just talked about how The Sims conformed to the changing gaming industry as a whole, but how did the gaming industry respond to The Sims? Well, for one, one of the most lasting impacts is that we created a lot more life simulator games since then. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen ads on Instagram for those life simulator games where someone comes in and, and you have to choose what they're going to do. If they're going to like flirt or run or whatever, <laughs> or what clothes to put on. I don't know that we have a game like Kim Kardashian Hollywood. Right. Kim Kardashian created a life simulator game where you play as Kim Kardashian. Oh but... my God, no way. Yeah. <laughs> or even not even life simulator, but something like City Skyline is insanely popular. That's kind of like the spiritual successor to SimCity. And of course, Minecraft. I mean, we've already said that, but the idea of an open world, open-ended game that you set your own victory conditions and victory parameters. Mm. I think that's hugely indebted to The Sims. Because obviously, like, open world games, you have GTA or whatever, but there's still a way to win. But the idea of just being like, hey, fucking play around. Do what you want. Play with your imagination. (laughs) Yeah, that's how Minecraft works. That's the game that beat The Sims to become the most popular PC game of all time. And it's an open-ended world builder. And it's the one the Zoomers love. Yeah, and this open-ended play-with-your-imagination virtual dollhouse was optioned by Hollywood at one point. Uh, No way. Yeah, there was an attempt at a Sims movie. (laughs) Listeners, keep your ears peeled. There will be an episode on video game movies dropping soon from us. Uh, We're recording shit out of order now. Whatever, not important. (laughs) But this movie was in development hell for a long while. It got picked up in 2007 by 20th Century Fox. And Brian Lynch was set to write the screenplay. If you don't recognize that name, I didn't either. I had to look this up. He's the guy behind both Minions and (laughs) Minions, colon, The Rise of Crow. (laughs) So, you know, this movie would have just absolutely rocked. It definitely wouldn't have been annoying as hell. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Passion of the Christ. It's shot entirely in Simlish. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, when 20th Century Fox was acquired by Disney, this movie was quietly killed. But that happened recently, like in the past five years or so. They did make a Barbie movie, like kind of the same. Mm. They'd mm-hmm. have to make up a story, I suppose, but I'm sure. It's inevitable, I'm sure, at this point. We have several Lego movies. It's true. Yeah, I mean, The Sims has at least as much lore as Barbie. For sure. <laughs> Jordano and I watched yeah, this t- totally unhinged YouTube analysis of a character that involved her being both an alien abductee as well as being a clone. The craft of the research of this video. She was reading every single description of every single character and even using the Wayback Machine to read a promotional <laughs> post for The Sims 2 in which this fictional character was interviewed to give backstory lore. The amount of dedication to The Sims fandom on YouTube is admirable, I guess. I'm happy they're happy. You know, let people enjoy things. But yeah, my God, they really kind of bury the lead in terms of the lore, right? I never would have thought in a million years that aliens exist in the Sims world and there's a mad scientist cloning thing going on. <laughs> yeah, Shami, can you speak to the lore at all to say like, how it was introduced and like why does the lore exist? Because <laughs> there's very involved family trees. It's like fucking This Is mm-hmm. Us or something. Like, <laughs> like, or the back of a George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because that's the structure of the game, you know? You can create these multiple generations. And 
the stuff that Ben described is unhinged. I watched that video too, and I was like, yeah, I knew most of this. Just like, <laughs> playing the game. Yeah, it's the backstory of the game. And I think it's there so that people who download the game and don't really know what to do, they have a jumping off point. Okay, here's a story, like an intriguing situation, like this character, this iconic character, Bella Goth. She's in all of The Sims games. It's sort of like a through line for the series. What happened to her? And yeah, of course, there are people that take it pretty far, but they're pretty much just looking at the game it's all in the game what i don't understand though is that it's a sandbox where you do your own thing with the characters and so what you get put in charge of bella thorn bella goth no, you don't play as bella goth <laughs> bella goth comes visit you uh, you play as like people that you that you create gotcha but i see i think you can play as bella goth in oh, the really? sims one yeah oh, yeah okay. you can play as any of the families that are there you ah, can pick okay. you can create your own family like your own characters from scratch or but you can interact with this cast of characters don lothario and the caliente yeah exactly gotcha that makes sense through the different iterations of the sims they've expanded on these kernels of stories which probably they didn't put in a whole lot of thought into when they first did in the sims one but the fans like it and they get really into it and they try to hunt for all these easter eggs so they're just like giving them a little bit more you know as they as they release versions of the game yeah when we started that video and the researcher (laughs) the creator was like as everyone knows (laughs) the timeline of the sims is like sims 3 sims 2 sims 1 it's like as everyone knows <laughs> there's a relative chronology to the sims yeah because the same characters show up in, in different versions of the game and they're like kids in sims 3 and then they're yeah mm-hmm. it made sense <laughs> also less popular but still part of the echoes in the culture there is a borderline unwatchable reality tv show <laughs> called the sims sparked there's no vowel. It's just K apostrophe D. So Sparked that you can watch on YouTube in which professional slash competitive Sims streamers and players are put into teams and given challenges in the Sims world. And they are some eccentric individuals. There's a man who wears a fez at all times. <laughs> And they're given tasks like design a house in The Sims, inspired by these three objects, and then craft a story or whatever. And this fucking game show, they're like, you know, you did a great job making the house with the characters, but I felt the story was a little lacking. It's like, you made a game with no story. What the hell are you doing? (laughs) Watching these people tell a story with their characters is like watching children play with dolls. And they're like... (laughs) Okay, now the dad is going to talk to his daughter, and the daughter—it's it, that excruciating. And they're—they're grown adults. It was—it was awful. Brutal stuff. <laughs> yeah. There's someone who says that that she had social anxiety growing up, and The Sims helped her get through that. And I'm like, you learned from The Sims? Like, could could I get an example of these now good social interactions that you do? <laughs> I feel like it's, it was probably like I have social anxiety, and so if I need to talk to someone, I'll just imagine some god giving me the directive: go talk to someone. And that will have the same stakes as when I tell my Sims to do it. You know? Yeah. You just got to imagine that crystal above you, that <laughs> iconic green crystal. Mm-hmm. We talked on our last episode about how apparently half of all people think we're living in a simulation. Whenever I walk into the kitchen and I forget why I went in there, I imagine that the cruel malevolent God that runs my life deleted the order. And that's why I'm confused. And then I open the fridge and piss myself. Like, well, <laughs> that's, uh, I guess uh, someone wasn't watching my bladder score. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Shammy, you once told me about certain strategies and or best practices when playing The Sims. Like you can always <laughs> sell a window if you need money quick. Any <laughs> other good kernels or tidbits like that? If you don't have money for pizza, it's fine. You can just sell the window. Yeah, it's just like absurdities like that. But I think make the game fun to play, but make it a little bit less realistic, perhaps. Yeah, let's say a friend of yours was like, I want to get into The Sims. Do you have any advice for how to enjoy this game or play it well? A 30-year-old friend of mine, friend in their 30s, they want to take up The Sims. Or maybe they're a teenager. Let's say they're they're 12. They're a teenager. Okay. I think the best way to play it is to be creative and to use it as an outlet for your creativity and to maybe live out some alternate realities for things that you might want to do. Start so many families. <laughs> Start multiple secret families. Yeah, only in the Sims universe. It's uh, it's not best practices in this universe that we live in. Yeah, and I think that that is the fun aspect of the Sims is that you only get one life, right? And the Sims yeah. allows you to live through another life for a brief moment without any stakes. And so it reminds me of the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Hidden Light, where the Sims can show you what it's like to live as a hacker <laughs> or as a guy <laughs> who starts a family with his neighbor <laughs> or as... A a criminal or a, or a guy who hosts big parties. Parties so dope that comic <laughs> icon Drew Carey shows up. And listen, I could do that in real life, right? I have the means <laughs> to turn my floor into like a light up dance floor. It's, it's not an economic limitation. It's purely an effort standpoint, <laughs> right? I have the means to, to throw a party so sick that Drew Carey comes over. I can do that. That's something I can do. <laughs> Wow, Dredato out here bragging on the pod. God damn. But it's too much effort. In The Sims, I could do that in a couple hours, you know. Totally. Did any of you create people that you knew in real life in The Sims? Ooh, no. I remember Ben and I used to name our enemies, like, in Roller Toaster Tycoon. We would, like, take a patron (laughs) of the park and name them someone we hated and then set them on the doomed roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, treating your virtual avatars like voodoo dolls. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever do yeah. that with The Sims? I mean, I once made my family, like myself and my parents, and mm. it just creeped me out way too much to like, actually, because they do not behave like real people. And it's, it's just really weird. <laughs> you know what? I think there was probably a moment where I like, made my crush in The Sims, probably, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I did the dollhouse equivalent of mashing two dolls face together. Now kiss. Now kiss, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing we probably, fuck, we should have said in the description is that if you don't give your sims an order they will still putz around and do stuff what the game did so brilliantly is that there was some kind of programming that the sims would do without you it was kind of like trying to get a moody teenager to do something right (laughs) you had to try and take care of this being that didn't want to take care of itself yeah (laughs) so yeah it's where part of the fun of the game or part of the challenge of the game came from it's not just do this do that do this it's do this when your sim doesn't want to when your sim is doing (laughs) asinine idiotic things like leaving the dishes on the floor instead of putting them in the sink (laughs) because they have the sloppy trait or something yeah yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so yeah the sims had a way i think of making life seem straightforward too just a to b i'll send my sim to work Uh, i'll try flirting with people i'll try getting my hobby skill up all things that you'd like to do in real life but seem overwhelming i think that the sims sort of presented it in this very cool way of being like oh yeah like life is life is actually easy yeah life is like straightforward (laughs) if i 
took away my own mental problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life is actually easy. The stakes aren't that high. You don't need to be anxious. Just do whatever. There's no risk. The only risky activities in this world are cooking and going for a swim. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing that Shammy mentioned to me in preparing for this is that originally this game was meant to satirize American consumerism. And I think <laughs> in one way, this is a very funny instance of people totally missing the mark of satire, like taking it mm. seriously. Like the goal is to get the light up dance floor and the pinball machine and the vibrating <laughs> heart shaped bed and the, the nicest wallpaper and tiles. Yeah. Acquire more stuff. This is awesome. The same phenomena of people thinking like Tony Soprano is the boss and he's dope and cool and aspirational yeah people not getting it not understanding the sims at the same level that we do <laughs> yeah well ea specifically not not getting it ea acquiring this satirical piece of, of video game really. <laughs> but what if what if consumerism was good you yeah. ever think of that <laughs> good for your mind good for the soul they're behind that terrible game show too where i think the reason they didn't make any more is that it was this weird mix of you had to be kind of a sim super fan i think to even understand what they're doing but at the same time they, they just totally alienated all those people because the point of the game show is just not how you play the game at all that's not the point point is not to be competitive and to do x in like under 90 minutes which is just insane there's no way that you could actually do anything good in 90 minutes it seemed like they didn't really understand that I'm, yeah. honestly this whole conversation has made me think that i think women are just more creative in general <laughs> because of the nature of how you approach this game versus ben and i which which was like yeah you just create a life for people and just imagine what their stories are and what their life is like and yeah keep living whereas ben and i were like okay i'm just gonna become the information <laughs> overlord and then i'll stop playing or like me who's like as soon as i get the rotunda to look perfect then i'll stop playing you know <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's another valid way to play it, though. Like, to, yeah, get the rotunda looking exactly how you want it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think if that's all we got, we're going to wrap up the show. If you joined us for our second ever video game episode, thank you so much for joining us. Huge thank you to our guests for this week, Shammy, for coming on the pod. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Ciao, ciao. Smiva wava keens, nabo ava, ablarni mova, smiva kluba flava. Wait, actually, hold on, Jordan. Before we wrap it up for real, how did you want to plug? I didn't say the normal thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So thank you, by the way, for everybody who's ever left a comment or a review. It's, it's been really nice. We've had a couple of people ask us if we had a, a Patreon, and we don't really want to do that yet because we think it's still a little early. But if you want to support the show in some way, maybe just tweet that, you know, you're listening to Remember Shuffle and you like it, or, or if you post on Instagram. If you're willing to take a screenshot of the podcast player and post that to your Instagram story and then tag the pod account... Uh, shout out to the Shuffle Do Car who do that. That's amazing. We love to see it and we, we love reposting it too. So if you want to help out the show, that's the best way you can do it. So if you want to tweet or tag us on Instagram, it would make our crystal so green. <laughs> <laughs> it would make our crystal so incredibly green. We'll be doing the Sims dance, you know, we'll be living large. <laughs> Hell yeah. We'll get our podcaster score up to 10, you know. <laughs> It's to the top of the podcast career track. Yes. yes. Would that be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, Joe Rogan. You can do it. <laughs> what? Okay, hold on. Let's do a Joe Rogan impression, but in Simlish. Wow. <laughs> it's like Owen Wilson. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>
That's so interesting. Say more. Yeah. Keens, Rava, Ablarni, Shmiva, Kubaflava. I can tell you're just doing the same like 12 words. Sweet. I know. I wish I would have written more down. Written more <laughs> down. <laughs> you're really struggling with your past participles today, dude. All right. Again, if you joined us, yeah. Uh, ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening. Soon, soon. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that's the bye bye in uh, in Simlish. Well, yeah, soon, soon. I said, I'll see you soon. <laughs> that's clever. Vadish, <laughs> soon, soon. Vadish <laughs> is thank you. Apparently. <laughs>